Well, good morning, Journey Church. It's good to see you all. I have missed you. Uh, the last couple of weeks I've been out and you know, preachers, we got to do things with alliteration. I've been out for two weeks and they both start with C. I was in Colorado and then I had COVID. So if I'm going to miss for two weeks, I might as well make it alliterated, right? Um, so it's good to see you uh, back here today. Uh, we are going to start a new series today in Jonah. It is great for us to have time away, my wife and I, uh, getting to go to the mountains. My first time ever to do that. Uh, you know, I thought the mountains were in Arkansas and southeast or southwest Missouri, but then there's actually like real mountains uh, in Colorado. And so that was, that was great and just so grateful for the gifted preachers that God has blessed Journey with. I mean, Will did an amazing job uh, for two weeks, one of which was totally, uh, he was unaware of to the last minute. So just really grateful for the way the Lord has blessed and uh, for the way that he wrapped up the Philippian series and just honored the text so well. And so today we're launching into a new series in the book of Jonah, which is in the Old Testament. And it's going to be a four-week series. We're going to take basically one chapter a week as we look at the story of Jonah. Now, why Jonah? I mean, why, out, of all the, out of all the scriptures, why would I choose Jonah? Why would we pray and say, yeah, I think the Lord is leading us here? And, and there's a lot of reasons. There's actually a, a whole lot going on in Jonah. And to be quite honest with you, there's a lot more going on in Jonah than even I think I knew in my whole 42 years of life and have read Jonah multiple times. But as I've poured over it over the last month, just so many themes of God's character come out of Jonah. And that's the first thing I want us to know. I think for a lot of us, we hear Jonah, we think about a big fish, we think about a crazy storm, we think about a running prophet, and all of those things are in Jonah. In fact, most of those are actually in today's sermon. But you do know there's four chapters to Jonah, not just chapter one. There's a lot in Jonah. And the main thing I want us to see first and foremost is that Jonah is a story about God, not about Jonah. One pastor that I had read said that words that can be translated God, Hebrew words that can be translated God are used 39 times in Jonah out of 47 verses, 39 times. Out of 47 verses, Jonah is not about a fish. Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah is about God. And Jonah is unique because it's not like most of the minor prophets that you see in the Old Testament where you maybe have an oracle that comes from God and they speak or write down that oracle to give out to the Israelites. No, Jonah is unique because it's more of a biography of Jonah and of God's interaction with him. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what God reveals about himself and what God reveals about us through the book of Jonah. And here's what you'll see. Jonah is a story about rebellion and about grace. It's a story about rebellion and about grace. And Jonah is a story about who we perceive as the good people and the bad people who we perceive as people God should love and maybe people who God shouldn't love uh, if God was made in our image, that is. Jonah is a book that's gonna press on us in ways that quite frankly we need to be pressed on. It's gonna press on us around who we do and don't want to love. 
It's going to press on us about who God actually shows mercy to, which means not getting what we deserve. And it's going to press on us around who needs grace, the unmerited favor of God that's given through Jesus Christ. It will press on us around how we interact with them in such an us versus them culture that we live in. Sounds exciting, huh? (laughs) We all like to get pressed, right? Well, get ready for four weeks of it. So to begin with, we're going to look at Jonah chapter one today. And one of the motifs that you'll see throughout the book of Jonah is introduced here in chapter one. We see a stark contrast between rebellious hearts and the heart of God. A contrast between rebellious hearts and the heart of God. And what is intriguing and worth noting today and over the next few weeks is that most rebellious, the most rebellious of hearts is probably going to be found in places you don't really expect. And so as we jump into chapter one today, we're going to see and discuss the following things. We're going to see a shocking call. We're going to see a rebellious heart. We're going to see the storm of sin and the hot pursuit of heaven. A shocking call, a rebellious heart, the storm of sin, and the hot pursuit of heaven. And so the book of Jonah begins with quite a shocking call. Verses one and two say this, then the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. As we begin with the word of the Lord, it comes to Jonah. Now, what we know about Jonah is actually pretty minimal in the scriptures. He's really only mentioned one other place, which is 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And what's going on there is you have a wicked king in Israel, Jeroboam II, but despite his wickedness, God actually gives an oracle or a word to Jonah that his boundaries, the boundaries of Israel would increase, that their, their land would grow. And God honors that word. He spoke to Jonah, Jonah spoke the prophecy. But outside of this, outside of that place in 2 Kings and the book of Jonah itself, we don't know a whole lot about Jonah. But that's enough. That's enough for us to know about Jonah. We know then that Jonah was a prophet which means he heard from God. He heard messages from God and he relayed those messages. And in that day, if you called yourself a prophet and you said, thus says the Lord, and it didn't happen, you got stoned. So he was like a legit prophet. He he said that Israel's borders would increase, they increased. And so we know he was a prophet. We know that he saw God move in powerful ways. We know that he saw God faithful to his word And this is who the word of the Lord came to here in verse one. It came to Jonah. And what was that word of the Lord? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is shocking. And we may not realize just how shocking this was until we actually look at the historical context of what Nineveh was. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the biggest, baddest dude on the block in that day and time. And not only were they the biggest and the baddest, they were brutal. But it's shocking first and foremost that God would call a prophet to actually leave Israel 
and go speak to another nation, a Gentile nation at that. God's prophets often spoke against evil nations in the scriptures, but those oracles typically happened either in in exile or they happened in Israel towards those other nations. But this is unique because God's telling Jonah to leave Israel and go to speak to a Gentile nation. And then you add to that, what's also shocking is that Assyria was historically brutal. According to Erica Bleeptrow, I'm not sure how to say her last name, but here's, how, here's what she says. Assyrian history was, quote, as gory and blood-curdling of history as we know. Think about all of the history of ancient times and peoples that the Assyrian Empire was the most blood-curdling and gory of all of them that we know of in human history. And one anecdote of this that history records is that Assyrians would actually, when they defeated an enemy, they would cut off every limb except for one arm and one hand so that they could go and shake their hand as they died. Brutal, cruel, wicked. That was the Assyrians and Nineveh was the capital. And they were due northeast of Israel, a threat to be sure. In fact, by 722 BC, they ultimately did come into the Northern Kingdom and take Samaria. They were a threat. But at this point, that would be many years after this, at this point, they are just a wicked nation that has been a problem for Israel and God calls Jonah to confront them about their impending doom, which is really the third reason that this is a shocking call. Why would God send a prophet to a violent and dangerous and wicked place and actually warn them? Why wouldn't he just smite them like they deserved? It was a shocking call. But shocking as it was, this was the word of the Lord. And it came to Jonah, a prophet of the Lord. So surely he believed God and he would go, right? It's not exactly, and you know this, it's not exactly how it plays out. Look at verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So actually, Jonah did the opposite. Where Nineveh was northeast, Jonah set out for Tarshish, which was a port in Spain. Spain, the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. God sent Jonah to a place where he could get to by land, and Jonah instead sets out to sea. He wasn't necessarily even fleeing Nineveh. It says he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. He was fleeing God's people who knew he was a prophet. He was fleeing the temple. He was fleeing the promised land. He was getting the heck out of Dodge where anybody would know who he is and what God might be calling him to. And after hearing about Nineveh, I mean, can we really blame him? If God came to you today and said, get up, go to the Kremlin, and proclaim against Vladimir Putin for his wickedness has come up before me. How would that go for you? What God is calling Jonah to do for our context is similar to calling him to go to Russia or North Korea or the leader of ISIS and call them to repentance. We could understand the fear Jonah must have had. 
But Jonah lets us know what really motivated him in fleeing to Tarshish wasn't exactly fear. If you jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 2, this is what Jonah says. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah didn't have a fearful heart. Jonah had a self-righteous and racist heart. He hated the Ninevites so much that he would rather not preach of their impending doom for fear that they would actually listen, repent, and God would extend mercy and he didn't want to give them and he wanted them to get what they deserved. He knew God's character. He had seen God's patience with Israel. He had seen his grace and his mercy that had been shown in the past. And he didn't want to see that same grace offered to his enemies. This was utter hate. Jonah had a rebellious heart. So why would God send Jonah to preach to his enemies knowing Jonah's heart? I believe because the Lord needed to expose the wickedness of Jonah's rebellious heart and expose it he did. Jonah was a prophet. He heard from God. He was part of God's people. And yet while he received mercy and grace from God, that grace and mercy never reshaped his heart. Instead of the love God had shown Jonah softening his heart, Jonah maintained a self-righteous attitude towards his enemies. He hated them. He wanted them to suffer. He was religious at heart and he showed and, and showed that he failed to actually see his own need for grace. And God was about to expose this heart in Jonah. And I believe he wants to expose our hearts today as well. Many of us in this room have experienced the sweet grace of Jesus Christ. We've benefited from the steadfast and faithful love of God. We sing about it. We pray about it. We might even tell our friends about it. But think for a second, who has hurt you in your life? Who's hurt you in your life? Who's been a threat to your peace in your life? What face or group of faces do you see in your mind? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a person who used to be your friend. Maybe it's a member or a previous member of our church. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your boss. If you're a student, could be a classmate, a coach, teacher, who has hurt you in your life? Who do you see? And what if God lavished his blessing and love on them? How would you feel? Would you rejoice? 
would you be angry? Self-righteousness in the heart of humanity is rebellion. It's a false sense of reality. It doesn't show gratitude for the grace that you've received and it shows a lack of awareness of the need for the grace that you've received. And quite honestly, it's the struggle of every single human heart apart from the work of God. So God wants to work on us this morning because apart from the work of God, rebellious hearts lead to disaster. Notice in the text, the disaster that ensues, starting in verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Rebellious hearts are sinful hearts, plain and simple. Jonah's behavior is actually just a picture of what sin is. It's turning away from God. It's fleeing from his presence by running in the opposite direction of which he has called us. And when we do this, we bring disaster into our lives. Sometimes storms come into our lives because we live in a fallen world. It's just the way it is. There are travesties, there's natural disasters, there's storms, there's sickness, there's cancer. And those things come in our lives, not because necessarily something that you've done, but just because it's the nature of our fallen world. Jesus says as much when he speaks about the Tower of Siloam in Luke 13, or when he speaks about the man that was born blind in John chapter nine, that sometimes in your life, your difficulties and the storms are not a result of your sin. But sometimes the storms that you face, they are from sin and maybe just not your sin. Like in this situation, these sailors, the storm was a result of someone else's sin, Jonah, but they had to deal with it all the same. So sometimes the storms that you're in are from sin, just not your sin, but then sometimes the storm is from your sin, but it just could be a natural result of your sin, like uninhibited lust that you give into, that you ponder, that leads way to adultery, that leads way to marital problems. Dishonesty at work leading to job complications and maybe even ultimately termination. Harsh treatment of your children leading to difficult relationships with them as they age. These are natural results of your sin. As Tim Keller points out in his book, the prodigal prophet, he says this, the Bible does not say every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you difficulty. And sometimes the difficulty and the storms of sin in our life are of a divine origin. The narrator tells us that, what the, that it was the Lord who sent the great wind onto the sea and such a violent storm arose that the sailors were afraid the ship was gonna break. And these pagan sailors, they had an inkling that this storm was of divine origin themselves. Surely they had seen their fair share of storms as sailors, uh, yet it, it, you would think like if the skies looked ominous when they left port, they probably would have waited until 
to put out to sea. But this storm seems to have caught the sailors by surprise. And they immediately attributed it to the divine because it says they each cried out to their God. As though some God, they had done something and some God had then out of nowhere inflicted a storm upon their travel. So they're each crying out to their God. But where's Jonah? He isn't praying to his God. No, instead, notice the state of Jonah's sin-ridden heart. Starting back in verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. While the sailors were fighting for their life, Jonah, the man responsible for their fight, was fast asleep. And this prompts the obvious question from the captain, like, how can you sleep? Maybe he could sleep because he was distressed. He might have thought, if I can just get some sleep, I can avoid the guilt and the distress that I'm feeling from running from God for a while. Have you ever been there? When the storms in your life make you desire the escape of slumber, I've been there. Maybe that's what's going on. But maybe because he's in a deep sleep, it exposes just how calloused his heart was for the pagan sailors. He runs from God's call to the pagans of Nineveh only to end up in a boat with pagan sailors and their false gods who have been no help with this storm and he couldn't have cared less about their plight. He was just down there snoozing away in a deep sleep. And notice the trajectory of a rebellious heart. Jonah, fleeing from God, went down to Joppa. He went down below deck. And spoiler alert, chapter one finishes, him with, finishes with him down into the sea. The trajectory of running from God is down, down, down. And oftentimes you find yourself deeper into sin and rebellion than you ever thought you would go. This is my story. I ran from God in college, but my heart really started running from God in high school. And it was decision after decision that seemed not that big a deal, relatively inconsequential, down, down, down. And by the time I got to my junior year of college, I had run farther than I ever dreamed I would. I had gone deeper than I ever expected. And I hit the bottom when the storm was raging in my life. Anyone else have a story like that? Wow, okay, maybe y'all should be up here preaching. Down, 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 the trajectory of the rebellious heart towards God. But back to the story. Upon the captain's exhortation, Jonah gets up and through the ancient practice of divination by casting lots, God causes the lot to fall on Jonah as the culprit for this sovereign storm. So Jonah owns it. 
He confesses that he's the reason for the mess they're in. It was his sin that is now wreaking havoc on all of their lives. And this is how he answers in verse 9. He answered, because they asked him, you know, who are you from? Or who, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? He says this, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Notice two things about his confession. First, Jonah reveals to these pagans that he reveals to them the covenant name. When you see all caps, when you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, most translations, the way that's them denoting that this is Yahweh's name. So he, he basically reveals to these pagan sailors the name of God, Yahweh. I worship Yahweh. But then second, he reveals to them that this God, Yahweh, is the God of heaven. As in, there's no God above him. And he's the creator of all that you see because he's the creator of land and of sea. What else is there? Heaven, land, sea. Yes, the wind and the waves have them in peril, but they cannot escape this God because he's not just the God of the sea, but he's the God of the land. He's the God of heavens above. Yahweh is the all-encompassing God, the God above all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Do you see what this confession of Jonah is showing us? That in Jonah's heart, he knows he can never truly flee from the presence of God because he's the God of heaven and earth, the land and the sea. And upon this revelation, it's the sailors who actually have a proper response, not Jonah. Notice verse 10, it says, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. Desmond Alexander notes in his commentary that the word translated worship here in the NIV and in most translations, when Jonah says, I worship the Lord in verse nine is the Hebrew word for fear. And what's interesting is that it's actually Jonah's fear that has a hollow ring to it, as Alexander says. And he doesn't really seem that he fears the Lord. It doesn't really seem that he worships the Lord, but it's actually the sailors who exhibit more fear of the Lord than Jonah. So here in this storm of sin, it's not the man responsible for the storm who seems to have the proper fear, but those in the boat with him, the pagan sailors. And not only do these, these sailors show proper fear, the more they learn of God, their fear seems to intensify. They were afraid in verse five of the storm, but then they're terrified after hearing about Yahweh in verse 10. And finally, in verse 16, it says that they greatly feared the Lord. And the scriptures tell us that the fear of the Lord, the reverence of who God is, is the beginning of wisdom. And so who's showing the beginning of wisdom in this story? The prophet? No, the pagans, the sailors. The narrator is juxtaposing the religious prophet with a self-righteous heart against the pagan pantheon worshiping sailors whose hearts are transformed before Jonah's very eyes. Look at how it finishes 11 through 15. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to kill him, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. They are praying and they're calling him Yahweh. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. These sailors show respect for the Lord and they show respect for Jonah. Jonah, who's fleeing from God's shocking call, running to the ends of the known world for them, ends up in a boat with pagans whose heart appear closer to the Lord than the prophet's own heart. But they didn't yet know the Lord's character, how he's gracious and merciful. They aren't sure how he will respond with them throwing his worshiper overboard, but they trust in his mercy and they offer sacrifices of worship and the Lord responds by relenting from the disaster of the storm. Now that's a whole lot to take in for the story and there's so many different motifs and themes that we could talk about. But here's what I want us to see for this time. Here's the brass tacks of Jonah chapter one. Jonah runs from God, exposing his rebellious and his self-righteous heart. And this sin brings a divine storm into his life and the lives of those around him. That's what I want us to see for, for this point, at, the, at least at this point. So my question for you is, what has God called you to in your life that makes you uncomfortable? Think about that. What has God maybe called you to in your life that makes you uncomfortable? Has he impressed on you to share the gospel maybe with somebody that's in your sphere of influence, but you're scared to death of what that might do to your relationship with them? You know how that feels. You got that prompting in your heart. I feel like I need to share the good news of Jesus, but I don't, I mean, what's, what are they gonna do? How are they gonna react? Has he called you to go to a place that you don't wanna go? Maybe because it makes you uncomfortable. Maybe because you don't like them. You don't agree with their lifestyle and yet he's calling you to go to them? Has he called you to love someone who seems unlovable? And quite frankly, undeserving? What has God called you to in your life that's making you uncomfortable? And then the question would be, is your heart rebellious? We don't like to say that. That just seems really harsh. Like, I'm rebellious, that's a bit extreme, right? But it's not. Is your heart rebellious? Because Jonah probably didn't realize his heart was as rebellious as it was until the Lord called him into a situation that completely exposed it. What is God calling you to that might make you uncomfortable and how are you responding? A few years ago, uh, actually about eight years ago, we went to Eureka Springs. You don't just drive through there. You have to be intentionally going there. It's a brutal drive. 
But my wife loves the passion play, well, or she did. Um, she had this enamoration of what it looked like when she was a kid. Let's just say, if you haven't been to the passion play ever or in a long time, it's not the same. I don't have time to get into the story. It's hilarious. We can tell you another time. Um, it was a humbling experience for my wife. Uh, okay, so, but she was really upset that we didn't leave as early as she wanted to because in the afternoon, the passion plays at night, in the afternoon they did a live telling of the Jonah story. We didn't get there in time for Jonah, uh, but we did get there in time to eat in their dining hall that would make you crave Ryan's. It was that bad. My daughter, who we would eat at the time, would eat, would eat just by anything. She goes, is everything here terrible? Like, that's literally what she said, sweet little Reese at the time. So we're in there, and this guy comes gallivanting up to our table in like this old, you know, like garb um, that you could tell he was in either in the Passion Play or in something. And he's kind of, he's like, hey, good to see y'all, because we're like the only ones that, you know, paid like $30 a plate to eat in there. And so he comes walking over. He's like, hey, you know, you know who I am? And so my kids are like, no. And he's like, I'm Jonah. So it's the guy that plays Jonah. So he gets talking, he's like, do you know the story of Jonah? And my kids are like, I mean, they've seen Veggie Tales. They know the Ninevites slap people with fishes and it's not good. And so they're like, yes, we know the story of Jonah. And so he basically says, he looks at my kids and he basically says this, he says, you better make sure and obey your parents or you might end up in the belly of a fish. And while everything in me wants to be like, yeah, obey. I looked at him and I said, or it's about God's relentless pursuit of the people that he loves. And the guy looked at me and he goes, you should be a pastor. <laughs> and come to find out, he had been a pastor, which then I'm like, oh my gosh, pray for your people. That's what you see Jonah's about. But I fear that that is what most of us think when we think about Jonah. It's an extravagant story about a man running from God that ends up in the fish because of disobedience. But for Jonah and for the sailors, they aren't being chased by winds and waves. They're being chased by the God of heaven and earth. Both the pagan sailors and the rebellious prophet, they were all running from God, but only one of them knew it. But what none of them expected that day was that they're running from God, that they would turn around and see heaven in hot pursuit of them. And while that might instill fear that this God in pursuit of them is not chasing them down to harm them, but to bless to soften their rebellious and sinful hearts by his penetrating steadfast love. For those who follow Jesus, when we face storms in our life, whether inflicted by our own sin or by the sin of others or just, the, just living in a broken world, we are promised that in Romans 8:28, God uses these storms to break the power of sin in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, look at me. I want you to get this about Jonah and about God. The Lord who sent the storm undergirded those waves with mercy and grace for the purpose of turning their hearts 
back to him. This is what it finishes with in 16 and 17. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. It's amazing. They pray to, they enter the ship. They now are praying to Yahweh. They're making sacrifices and promises to the God they didn't even know existed before this. And then verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And if you're like, how does that work? Come next week, because Kevin's gonna preach on that. The sailors spared and the self-righteous and running prophet, God sent a huge fish to swallow him, saved, at least for now. These waves were shockwaves of mercy. Sailors entered their ship that day unaware of the God of land and sea. And Jonah entered their ship actively fleeing that God's presence. But both ended up in the grip of his mercy, not getting what they deserved. Because even when we run from God, we cannot outrun his steadfast love for us. So where I want to close today is more with a couple of statements and then a question for you to consider. Every single one of us in this room at some point in our life has had a heart of rebellion. In fact, if we're honest, even if we would say like right now, we don't have a rebellious heart in total, there are probably portions of your heart that are. You know, Jonah, he hears the prophecy of God in 2 Kings and he goes and tells the prophecy because it was good news the expansion of the territory. But then when God tells him to go to the enemies, he says no. And I think for us, we too have portions of our hearts that want to do what God desires for us to do. But there are calls and that God may call us to that we just wanna go, no way, no way. So even if you wouldn't say your heart is completely rebellious, we probably have portions of our heart that still are. Instead of fleeing from sin, we flee from God. Instead of running from temptation, we run into it, sometimes on purpose and away from God's call. And if you're here today and you're thinking like, man, I was really hoping he'd be here to hear this today. Or if you're thinking like, I hope she's listening. You are more like Jonah than you think. As I mentioned in the open, the main character of Jonah is not Jonah, it's God. And therefore, this book is gonna confront your sensibilities about who God is, about what he calls his people to do, about who he loves, and about who needs grace. And the person who needs grace in this room is you and it's me. Jonah is a story about, about us versus them and how God's steadfast love and mercy and compassion extends to both us and them. But how do we know? How do we know that we will find steadfast love in God when we come to him? 
with our rebellious hearts. How do we know that? Because 800 years after Jonah, a man was facing a storm that was not the result of his sin, but our sin. And this man, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, says to the Father, throw me into the waves of your justice and I will absorb all that their sin has cost. I will do it. Jesus jumped into the raging sea and storm of our sin so that we can find calm and peace with God. And if you're here today, that means he's pursuing your heart right now. Your heart is under the hot pursuit of heaven today. And if you're here and you're already a believer, he's here to show you mercy and to draw you back into his presence. So the question to close is this, why are you running from mercy? Why are you running? Turn back, confess your sin and by faith in Jesus, you can experience the steadfast love of the God of heaven and earth, the land and the sea. And when you turn back, you will see right there in hot pursuit of you is Jesus himself for your good and your joy and his glory. Let's pray. Spirit, we need you to reveal in our hearts the areas that we don't even sometimes see. The areas where we've grown hard or we've grown cold. The areas where we have put a hand in your face and said, no, Lord, not that. Not them. Not now. Would you, Father, would you show us great mercy? And would you, one of the ways you show us mercy is would you expose our hearts as I prayed myself this week, God, show us areas of our hearts that are rebellious that we cannot see so that we can give those parts of our heart to you as you pursue us to love us and to show us kindness because you are our Father. Would you do that in us today and would you, would you allow us and cause us to turn back to you? It's for your beautiful and glorious and worthy name that I pray.